Great. Well, good morning and uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Just want to send you first of all love from King's Church, Oxted. Uh, when I said that I was coming over to uh, speak to you this morning, a number of people said, make sure you send our love and greetings. So I'll do that first. And also just a thank you for your ongoing support. As Ian said, I do bits and pieces for New Ground. And really thank you for your ongoing support uh, for us as a family of churches. It's great to be able to do things together. And in these COVID times, especially being able to help others financially and in other ways. And we can only really do that because of your ongoing support. So thank you so much for that. And thirdly, well done for just carrying on uh, sharing the gospel, loving one another during this strange time of pandemic, nearly been a year now. So well done, church, just for carrying on, for loving one another, for doing Alpha, for all those kind of things. I just really want to commend you for that. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to look at a psalm together. And I never think we really need much reason to look at a psalm because they are such a great source of inspiration and encouragement to us. Uh, for myself, uh, for about the last 15 years, I've read a psalm a day uh, as part of my quiet time. I just go through them and then when I get to the end, I start again. And uh, I just love the psalms. And this morning, I wanted us to look together at Psalm 146. And we're particularly going to focus on verse 5. And uh, I think Jesus is going to try and put it up on the screen. And he's also got the clicker to use this TV thing because I just can't deal with that kind of technology. Uh, so hopefully things will come up and you'll be able to see things. But let's have a look and see what Psalm 146 says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. What I really want to focus on is verse five and this theme of God being the helper of those whose hope is in him. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. I'm going to break down that verse into kind of three chunks, see what we can learn this morning. So let's start off. It begins with this word blessed. Now, the world tends to understand this term blessed as someone who I think doesn't seem to face too many challenges or difficulties in life or seems to overcome them fairly easily or fairly painlessly. We kind of have a saying, you know, of somebody who maybe is a bit of a crook, a bit of a cheat, but has never been caught. Maybe we say, you know, they've had a bit of a blessed life. And maybe as Christians, we can mistakenly fall into that trap of thinking now we're children of God, that nothing 
hard or difficult or heartbreaking or unfair or evil is ever going to happen to us. But that's simply not true. Being blessed doesn't mean a comfortable, easy, nothing ever goes wrong kind of life. I know I'm telling you something that I know, but I just want to underline, you know, what being blessed isn't. Because it's very easy to put a kind of description and a label on it that the Bible doesn't. And if we start off thinking wrong at the beginning, then we're going to end up wrong at the end. One of Job's comforters said to him, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Jesus himself said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. There's a verse for you, isn't it? Don't see too many of that uh, on your fridge magnets. Uh, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Not only did Jesus not promise an easy, comfortable, trouble-free life, he actually promised the opposite. He said, no, no, in this life, you will have troubles. However, he says, look, but you can take heart because I have overcome the world. And since now as Christians, we are what the Bible calls in him. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are the apple of his eye. We can now overcome those troubles that will come because of him. So being blessed is nothing about God removing trials and difficulties and troubles from us. It's about going through them with God as our helper. We are able to overcome because we have God as our helper. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, I've overcome every trial and trouble. Now you're in me. You can overcome every trial and trouble through me as well. So therefore, we are blessed. So blessing is not about avoiding, not having any of what I call the troubles, the trials of life. Nor is it about accumulating some things, you know, stuff, possessions. Think about the Beatitudes. They will begin, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But they go on to talk about character. They go on to talk about what we can have in the kingdom of God, not possessions. So being blessed is not about having some things, but it's about having someone, namely God. Blessed are those whose help is God. Most precious and valuable is not what we have, is not even who we are, it's not what we have achieved. It's actually about who we have, or rather who has us, and that is God. Okay, let's move on. Let's look at these trials and troubles of life. We've looked at blessed, but then as we move on, the next part of this verse, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob. And the first question in my mind is, well, what kind of things does God want to help with? What's the range? What's the scope? And I think that verses seven to nine in this psalm, we have this kind of short but very full summary or representation of the kinds of trials and troubles that we may face in this world. And that God has got both the heart and the ability to help us through. Let's just remind ourselves. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. 
gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. And as often happens in scripture, the psalmist, he only mentions a few really, but what I believe they are is representative of many, many more. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple and he read from the scroll that was written by the prophet Isaiah? Uh, we have it in Luke 4, 18 to 19. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's a similar kind of themes behind this and what the psalmist is saying today. But if you remember with Jesus, he then went around doing these things. He went around doing this, but it wasn't like his healing ministry was limited to those who were physically blind. He did heal the blind, but he also healed the lame and the deaf and those with all kinds of manner of illnesses and diseases. And in terms of proclaiming freedom for the prisoner, it wasn't actually about going to those in a physical prison. It was more going to those who were in a spiritual prison, who were captive to sin. My point is that Jesus was not limited to just the specific items on the scroll, but rather the items on the scroll were representative of what he was going to do, whether that was physically or whether it was spiritually or emotionally or mentally, because God cares about all of them because he cares about us as people when they're so interconnected. And what might be true in one is also true of another. People can be physically blind, but they can be spiritually blind. People can be mentally oppressed, or they can be emotionally oppressed. So I think we need to understand that those verses in verses seven to nine are actually, as I say, a summary. They're like a representation for me of the kinds of trials, the kinds of troubles that we will face, but that God wants to help us through. Let me pick out for you just a few of the headlines. He talks about bread for the hungry, freedom for the prisoner, sight for the blind, the lifting up of those who have bowed down, care for the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. You could be in an actual prison and physically unable to escape, or you could be in a prison emotionally because something's happened that's so traumatized you that you can't go outside of your own front door. God can help with that. You could be oppressed because someone has power over you to oppress you, or you could be oppressed because the enemy just keeps bombarding you with lies and taunts until you feel powerless to act. God can help with those things. You might be needing physical bread, which in our day maybe is a job to pay for the food that you need, but we can also feel spiritually starved, like we need something of substance to feed our souls. God can help with that. I actually think that pretty much any trial, any trouble that we face is covered by these verses. I think any trial, any trouble you and I are personally facing today is covered by these verses. Any trial, any trouble that we may face as a result of this COVID-19 pandemic we're going through is covered by these verses. 
And I think God here specifically mentions orphans, widows, and foreigners. But you know, that's not because his help is exclusive to them. Rather, I think on a human level, they are generally, or certainly were back in these days, the least cared for about society. And I think it's like God saying, do you know what? If I'm going to help those that everybody else will forget, surely I'm going to help everyone. I am going to help them, but I'm going to help everyone. It's something about God's heart, something about the range, the scope of his help, that his arms of love reach right out to the margins. And that's great for people on the margins, but it's also great for everybody in between. And of course, widows, orphans, the foreigners do need extra help. But I think it's also about us realizing that at times we can all feel like orphans in this world, regardless as to whether we have a human mum or dad, because sometimes the troubles of this world just seem so overwhelming. It leaves us feeling like orphans. Sometimes the troubles, trials of this life leave us feeling like the widow. We have no one to care for us. We may have always been citizens of the nation we live in. I was born in England. I've lived in England all my life. I don't know if I could feel more English if I tried. I feel very home here. But you know what? In another sense, as Christians, we are foreigners in this world. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are passing through because we have got this sense of eternity in our hearts that we actually are on our, we're on a pilgrimage to a destination, which is God. So I think it's both. It's a double-edged thing. Of course, orphans, widows, foreigners, they are the most vulnerable in society. And they need God's help in the troubles and trials of life. But actually, there are aspects of this which apply to us all. And I think that what God is trying to express is that he wants to help in all of them. I hope that makes sense. I'm not trying to overcomplicate things. I just think verses 7 to 9, the psalmist is trying to describe something of the trials of life, the troubles that Jesus said we will face. And if we take them in the broadest sense of them being things that affect us either physically or emotionally or spiritually or mentally, I actually think they apply to us all. So I think it expands our understanding of what God wants to be our helper with. And actually what I believe we find is this, it's the everyday, it's the nitty gritty of life. It's the very real. It's the sometimes overwhelming. It's the sometimes heartbreaking, the often difficult, the very varied, the multifaceted trials and troubles of life. I believe that is where God wants to help us. So back to verse five. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. See, my big question from this is, uh, who does God help? And the answer from this verse is those whose hope is in him. In other words, those whose trust is in him, those who are relying on him. We can't seem to get away from the fact that there is this clear connection between having God's help and our hope genuinely being in him for that help. I think about verses like uh, in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Seems a similar message. They're looking to the Lord for help, 
and help comes from the Lord. And I think here in Psalm 146, the psalmist is exhorting God's people, put your hope in him, look to him in the trials, the difficulties of life, and he will be your helper. I was trying to just work out what does putting our hope in the Lord look like? We, we know it can't mean behaving perfectly. We know that the Bible heroes of old weren't like that, weren't able to do that. And yet clearly they put their hope in God, which means it must be something at a deep level. Who are we really trusting? Who are we really looking to? Who are we really relying on in the trials and the troubles? Because I know that when trouble comes, there are a number of things that we can put our hope in. We might put our hope in ourselves. We might put our hope in whatever influence we have over a situation. We might put our hope in our knowledge, what we know, we're clever enough to get ourselves through round over this thing. It might be that we put our hope in our wealth, what we've stored up, maybe whatever power we have. Maybe our hope might be in what the doctor can do. Maybe what the government will do. Maybe what medicine can do. And I don't think any of those are wrong in themselves as long as we recognize and understand that they are from God and that they are to be used under his hand, if you like, at his direction. God may choose to help us through any one of those things or a whole number of other things. I think the issue comes when we start to trust them either over God or before God or as well as God. See, the truth is we can't put our hope in God and put our hope in something else at the same time. It's either in God or it's in something else. And therefore, if it's not fully in God, the verse says we won't be blessed because we won't be helped by him through the trials and the troubles. And the reason is not because we don't need help or because he is unwilling to help, but it's because we're not placing our hope, our trust in him to be our helper. Funny enough, I was thinking about the vaccine program in the UK, which has actually done well. I was speaking to some guys from Holland and their vaccine program is kind of just getting off the ground. You think, wow, we've done well. But in many ways, when you think about it, that was because we put our hope in many vaccines. As soon as they started to be developed, we had the money and we basically put our hope in seven or eight vaccines. We bought hundreds of millions of them. We had the money as a nation to be able to do it. We didn't need to choose just one. And so we put our hope in all of them. And then as soon as the first one came through, we started to vaccinate and we've been able to carry that on. And I think that there's a great temptation, maybe especially more so for us in the West as Christians, to basically have our hope in multiple places. One of which may be God, but certainly involve two or three of the other ones as well. And then when trouble or trials come, our hope is really on any one of them coming up trumps. Maybe we can work it out ourselves. Maybe we'll learn this or that job. Maybe that person will be able to help me out of this difficulty. Maybe the doctor can sort that out. Maybe a counselor will help me with this or that, or, or maybe God. 
It's like 20% of our hope is here and 20% in that, 20% in that, 20% in that, and 20% and in God as well. And as long as one of them comes up, well, that's all good. It's kind of how we did it as a nation with the vaccine. And I'm not saying that's wrong or bad. I just don't think it's the way that God wants us to relate to him. I think God wants our hope, our trust to be completely in him. And then if he chooses to help us through our wisdom or knowledge, then great. If he chooses to supply through this person or that person, then great. If he chooses to stop us from doing this or that by taking away the urge, then great. And if he stops us by giving us the grace day by day, then that's great as well. My point is those who hope in God do not see him as one of the options to get them through trials and troubles, but rather they see him as the one who will be their helper through the trials and troubles by whatever means he chooses and in whatever timing he chooses. I'll say that again because it's something in my flesh that doesn't like it. Putting our hope in God means we trust him to help us through the trials and the troubles in whatever way he chooses, in whatever time scale he chooses. You can't say your hope is in God to be your helper if he's one of the number of things you're looking to, or if you're dictating to him how, he's, how he needs to help you, or you're trying to dictate to him when he needs to help you. I'm kind of sorry to labor the point, but in nearly 20 years of pastoral ministry, I'm still amazed that some Christians are shocked by trials and troubles, as if surely this wasn't part of the plan when I became a Christian. But then I'm even more surprised when I find that their greatest source of help, namely God, seems to be the last place that sometimes they go to for the help that they so desperately need and that he is so willing to give. Okay, let's just think about how we just apply something. That's my best attempt to pick over this verse, if you like. Now, if you're a Christian and you hear this message and immediately you start to think that God will not help you because you know that you struggle to always put your hope in him 100% of the time, you know, in 100% of everything. And therefore, you kind of read this verse, well, then he's never going to help me. I just want to say to you that is not true because if that was the case, then he would help none of us because none of us are perfect. God knows us, he loves us, and he knows that we are tempted to put our hope in different places rather than him. And so in his word, he's urging us, encouraging us, instructing us to put our hope in him, to look to him to be our helper so that he can help us. If we as God's children got it perfectly right the first time, it wouldn't be a repeated message or theme through the Bible. But because God knows that we struggle, he reminds us. He says these things to help us. And I think God has given us two fantastic practical things to help. Namely, his word and his spirit. See, the Bible is actually full of very practical verses. Let me give you one. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 7. It's a very well-known verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord and shun evil. It's a great verse. I think in terms of this kind of stuff, very helpful. Because actually there are just five simple things that it says to help us to put our hope in God. Number one, it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. We don't see everything. I know we think we see everything, but we don't see everything. So it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Number two, it says, do not lean on your own understanding. We don't know everything, but God knows everything. So actually, these two do nots, I think, are really helpful for putting your trust in God. Because the first thing you have to do is talk to yourself. I have to talk to myself. Dale, I'm not half as smart, as clever. I do not see everything than I think. Just a point of reality there, almost a point of humility. And then it says, number three, three, trust him with all your heart. Because I think once you realize and remember, no, okay, I don't see everything perfectly. And I'm not half as clever as I thought I was. Ah, okay. Then I'm going to start to trust the one who does. Trust him with all your heart. Okay. And then number four, what flows from that again is commit your ways to him. If you know that you don't see everything perfectly and you don't understand everything perfectly, oh no, I better trust in God. Actually, then you commit your ways to him. Which doesn't mean you just kind of decide what you're going to do and then pray God blesses you. It actually means, no, no, God, I don't see perfectly. I don't understand perfectly. I want to trust in you. Okay, let's pray this through. Let's talk this through. God, you're my helper. You're the one who sets the timing. You're the one who sets the direction. So Lord, I think having done all that, I think this is what you want me to do, but I'm going to commit it to you anyway. And then finally it says, fear the Lord and shun evil. I think that almost encompasses them all really. Because for me, fear the Lord, I understand it to be loving obedience. That's how I always read it, loving obedience. I love God because he first loved me and rescued me. Therefore, I obey him as Lord and Savior. And in doing that, I shun evil. I think it's very hard to shun evil on its own. You have to shun evil by giving yourself to God, by working as hard as you can, if you like, not for your salvation, but to follow him, to commit to, to, to him, to trust him. That is the way, I think, the best way to shun evil. It's not simply to, oh, I won't do this, won't do that, won't do that, won't do the other. If I will fear God, lovingly obey him, I think a byproduct of that is that I will shun evil. So I just find that very helpful, that little proverb there, five things. That's the first thing. I think the word of God can be tremendously helpful in this. But secondly is the Holy Spirit. I think because we struggle to put our hope in him and trust him, especially as life gets difficult and troubles come, God decided that under this last and greatest covenant that you and I, if you're a Christian, live under, that God decided he was going to put his Holy Spirit inside of us to help us, to speak to us, to keep moving us from the inside, to turn us to look to God, to walk with God, to trust God. One of the reasons I believe God gave us the Holy Spirit was so that the Holy Spirit can help us to look to God for the help that we need day by day in the troubles and trials of life. How good is God that he even gives himself to help us to look to him? So if you're a Christian, you're not excluded from God's help. In fact, God is working in you to seek him and seek his help. 
And he does that by encouraging, convincing you, put your hope in him each day. Trust him each day, just like you once trusted him for your salvation. Now trust him for your day. So let's not be condemned by this verse. I don't think it's there to condemn us. It's there to spur us on. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you and bless you, Lord. We want to uh, pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on you. And Lord, I pray for anybody who is watching right now, Lord, that just needs you, Lord, to be their helper. Lord, whatever trial or trouble they're facing today or may face this week, Lord, or in the future, Lord, I pray that you would uh, so convince us, so convict us, Lord, that you are our first port of call, the first one that we go to. Lord, I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you love us and you keep reminding us. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters uh, this morning that you would bless them richly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Ian now. Thank you so much.